Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Poddleters. I hope that you're doing well. Um, I've decided that my intros are a bit too boring and a bit stiff. So I want to have a bit more fun in the introduction. And maybe that is because this episode is very funny, very silly, but also gets quite serious. Um, I speak to Jamie Windust, who is the contributing editor at Gay Times. They're also now an author. Their debut book, In Their Shoes, has just come out. So we talk about that. But then I did also want to add in a trigger warning because we do talk about sexual assault and things pertaining to that kind of thing towards the end of the issue. So if you think that that might be something triggering for you or potentially upsetting, then maybe don't listen. Although it's it's probably about halfway through, so you could maybe listen to the beginning bit. But yeah, I hope that you're all doing very well and, you know, surviving and thriving in this weird but wonderful time. Um, and I really hope that you enjoy this episode, as always, with the wonderful Jamie Windust. And if you wouldn't mind, please do rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other people to find the podcast, helps me to get amazing guests. And hopefully it all comes around in one wonderful circle where we're all learning and loving and lolling together. <laughs> okay, bye. Hello and welcome to Adulting. Today I'm joined by Jamie Windust. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, <laughs> wherever you are in the world. Yes, I'm back. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is your second appearance, and I was just saying I keep wanting to go Jamae because the Jamae private school girl, but you're actually not. It. Tell us who you are because you're not Jamae. You are <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> Unfortunately, my whole career has not been a Chris Lilly impersonation. I am. Uh, I'm Jamie Windust. I am a author, editor, and model. And do you know what? I added onto my list of things the other day: cultural commentator because I think it sounds professional um, I love that I thought you were going to say cultural icon <laughs> I mean if the shoe fits I don't know if the shoe <laughs> I really thought that's where you were going to go with that I was like okay. so ready for it uh, so author's new author is new I mean dependent on when you are listening to this that could be a mild lie um, <laughs> that's true <laughs> yes, author. Book, a book, a book has been released from my brain. But is it? It's not ready to. to well, you can buy it, but it's not out out yet, is it? Indeed. So here's the plug. Brace for impact. Um, in their shoes, my debut book is out on the twenty first of October. So dependent on when you are listening, um, you can either pre order. Pre order is available now, or you can. Um, told on down to your local Waterstones and harassed them for a copy. Love. So how has your lockdown been and were you, when did you actually finish writing? So I feel like, did you start writing last year? Was it when you went to Brighton? Was that when you were writing? Have I just made that up? 
thank you for your intrinsic knowledge <laughs> of my life. Um, <laughs> you know what? You're also one of those people that I have a very select uh, memory for. Like, for example, you went to that charity shop near King's Cross and did something that I now, every time I'm in King's Cross, I'm like, I need to find that charity shop. Oh my God, yeah, you do. It's really good. Yeah. I just love that we have selective, select, very select memories of each other. But yes, yes, that so is true. specific. I wrote this book um, from January last year to the end of the year, so I had a full 365 days um, to produce a book. Correct, um, and <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. I didn't actually start until April because I was like, "How do you expect me to write a book? I do not understand." Um, because the process is normally very they're very relaxed I found in the literary world very relaxed they're like yeah just start and I'm like "Mm, (laughs) what do you mean Um, (laughs) a a mild tip from me to you listener is if you are thinking of writing a book don't start at the start um, because that's obviously the hardest bit so I just started slap bang in the middle (laughs) why not love that it sounds a bit like you're on a plane I wonder if it was actually I'm better without a headphones. It's, it sounds like you're flying through the air. Oh my God, should I take them out? Yeah, I think so. Okay, hold on. Right. Oh, oh right, that's so headphones. much better. I apologise. <laughs> right, I'm, on the, I'm sat down now. I'm on the sofa. I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed. Oh, this is so much better. It literally sounded like we were in, um, you know, in Spy Kids, the movie, when they go underwater in that like little tank thing. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do look like Spike. <laughs> I love Spike it's one of my favourite films. Um, but so how did you, why April? Because I feel like that was when we were in the throes of lockdown. How did you find that in, an inspiring moment to suddenly start picking out bits from your brain? Oh, plot twist. Um, this was April last year. Oh, of course. Sorry. Correct. A different <laughs> April. <laughs> it was um, a different time. You know what? It was a different time. I... I really didn't know where to start. And the book basically is, um, it's chronological in a sense, but it is very much um, chopped up into, <laughs> chopped up into chapters like most books. Um, but <laughs> each chapter is about a different segment of my life. So for example, it was quite easy to just be like, I'm just going to start on the fashion chapter or I'm going to start on the relationships chapter. And then figure out what that tone of voice was in that chapter and then just kind of replicate throughout. But I'd say that my writing style is very much how I talk. So it was quite easy. I just kind of wrote in quite a silly, conversational, chatty, crude way. did you get self-conscious about right because when I I at the beginning of the year was also thinking about writing a book and also the same as you where they're just like just start writing and you're like I don't understand I don't know how to write a book I don't know what you want from me what do you want from me but I got really self-conscious about the way that I was writing and then it became really convoluted and I was like going over every sentence trying to make it like the most amazing sentence from the New Yorker that you'd ever read and it just absolutely fried my brain and then I just gave up Absolutely. Do you know what? I've, I've, I've done that now. I've just written a piece. Um, I've written quite an emotional piece for the next issue of Gay Times. And when I was writing it, and I had this also with, with the book, when I was writing something like meaningful or like if I wanted to make like a very 
stern, like poignant moment. I was like, come on, Jamie, get that thesaurus out. <laughs> Dolly Alderton and like make people cry. Um, and sometimes it's a lot harder than you think. But what I found was the best, I think the best moments in the book are where I've just written and not stopped and then read it back over it and I've been like, actually, that's very, if I do say so myself, that's very moving. No, <laughs> I agree though. It's like the best writing is stuff that's like uncomplicated and it feels natural. And it's actually like when you're, when you're, I think it's when you're aware of writing, like when you, what you just said then is so true. When you're writing really just, it's flowing. It's just coming out of you and you're not really thinking about it. That reads so well, but it's when you're really focused on like, I'm going to make this sound so good that you read it back and it's all like disjointed and really clunky and it's just crap. <laughs> yeah. Cause I always try, my one thing is I always try and do um, when I try and be like fancy, I do. I try and throw in like a very funny but meaningful metaphor, and then I'll end up sitting there for like two hours. Like, come on, think of a really great metaphor, and I'm like, it's not coming. It's not going to happen. My favorite line in the book is about the ones where I'm just like being silly and talking about just nonsense, and they're actually the best bits that I. <laughs> <laughs> that I enjoy rereading as I sit every evening and reread my own book. <laughs> so how how revealing is it? Is it how much of it is like is it memoir? Is it commentary? What's the real like crux of the book that you're getting you want to get out there? Mm-hmm. So the kind of general idea of the book is that it's a my story of how I navigated being non-binary and how I am still navigating it. So it is kind of a memoir in style. Um, so it's very anecdotal. Each chapter has lots of, um, has kind of like a, a main story of, of, a, of an experience that I've faced relating to that topic. So like in relationships, we've got um, my one and only ever relationship. And then <laughs> <laughs> in fact, got like the first time that I ever tried on um, fancy clothes and like my relationship at the very beginning with fashion um, and then it gets a bit gets a bit darker we've got like chapters on allyship and prejudice where I kind of detail um, things that have gone on and kind of very it's very story focused but each chapter has advice each chapter has commentary at the end um, about kind of the wider landscape for trans people because I was very aware that obviously my story is my story and mm. my story does not fit everyone. So it has lots of moments in it that I hope are applicable to lots of different people. Um, and I think also one thing that I've found is that it is actually hopefully relatable to people of all genders. You don't have to be trans to enjoy the book because a lot of the takeaways in it are about just freedom of self-expression which is not assigned to any one gender. I feel like even in the time since we last spoke on the podcast you've changed from leopard print elephant to Jamie Windus and I feel like in terms of self-expression you seem so you and so much more comfortable in who you are and really being yourself I mean I'm talking about online so I don't know but do you feel like there's been this was the right time for you to write this book I just feel like you feel you seem you come across as so much more 
confident and certain in being able to be Jamie. <laughs> do, do you feel that way? I do. You know what I mean? Do you know what? I was in, um, speaking of Lapid Elephant, she who should not be named, um, <laughs> I was in, uh, I was in a shoe shop the other day and someone came up to me and said, she was like, oh, I followed you since you were Leopard Elephant and I just um, <laughs> put my hand on her back and I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, you deserve a Lifetime Achievement Award for having to witness that period of time. Um, I do feel a lot more confident. I do feel a lot more self-assured. And I think that in part comes with feeling like my career and my jobs are very much more grounded in structure now. You know, I'm an author. I'm a contributing editor at Gay Times. Like a lot of things um, have set in place as it were so I feel a lot more grounded I feel a lot more confident in my work which then seeps into kind of me as a person um and also aesthetically I've changed quite a lot you might not believe this now dear listener <laughs> and only but I am not wearing a lot of makeup which, oh my god Shador if you told me, you know, you saw me last time. I was painted. I was painted for about ten people, um, so that has been really interesting to to acclimatize to a new aesthetic. Um, emphasis on the ass, and <laughs> yeah, I'm thoroughly well, yeah, enjoying it. You always had your same um, like face look that you would do whereas now you do like loads of different looks and sometimes you go a natural I've actually started wearing more makeup just because YOLO <laughs> are you like in mourning for me so you're like right Jamie's not wearing a lot so to counteract this <laughs> I'm I'm gonna wear all of the makeup that Jamie wants for it's just so addictive. Like I started putting, like I, it's happened slowly by slowly, but like I started wearing eyeshadow and then I was like, oh, I can wear eyeliner. And then it's like, once you know how nice you can look, it's really hard to not try, try and do that every day. And I'm like, yeah, my face looks fine without makeup. But then if you take a picture, like it just looks so much better. I'm actually going to try and stop doing it because it's like, I'm like addicted to wearing foundation when I, even when my skin's good. And it really annoys me because I'm like, just let your skin breathe in the air. I'm because I started, so I started wearing like no makeup, and then I was like, "Oh no, we can we can dabble with a little bit of concealer here and there." And then in the months since then, I've now my na- my now natural makeup is um, obviously foundation, bronzer, highlight, powder, which for me, oh, voice break there. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, for me, that is, that's not a lot of makeup, but for you know maybe a regular Joe. Or Joanne, it's it's quite a, it's quite it's still quite a lot of makeup, but um, you know it's it's alright. We, we no, I'd say that. that's like a natural look. It's not like a you know wham bam glam mam. Yeah, and it means that when I do do wham bam glam mam, it's very I enjoy it a bit more. It feels like a it feels like more of a treat almost. Yeah. Yes, this is my problem. I feel like I don't know where to go next because I'm so basic. Like I'm like a brown eyeshadow or a pink eyeshadow and I haven't really gone any further than that. So this is what keeps happening to me when I go on a night out. Not that I'm going on nights out at the minute, but in life, 
um, <laughs> I can't go any further than I've already gone. <laughs> I need to like get more experimental. Um, have you ever heard of blush? <laughs> as in crazy, as in of... the blush, the blusher, or is it a of thing? Blush. Yes. It's a very new trend. Um, I don't think many people are doing it. And it's called wearing lots of blush. I think you'd look great with blush. It's so funny you said that. Yesterday, for the first time, I got something like a creamy blusher. But it was like a peachy one. And it did look really good. But the thing is, because I go so red anyway when I get embarrassed, I was always quite scared of blusher because I spent my whole life trying to like de-red my face. So the idea of like putting on something that would make my face pink when I've spent my whole childhood being mortified by like how red I would go. It seems quite alien to me. I mean, well, peach is a good shout. However, I, you know, I have to get something off my chest. You could call this an adulting exclusive if you cared. <laughs> um, I, I hate cream blush. I've said it. I've oh. Said it. I've said it. I mean, Why I look, is that? No, it, for me, it doesn't work because I wear so much, when I do my face, I wear so much foundation that if I was to put cream blush on, it would just, I'd have to put the whole pot on for it to come through because obviously I wear too much blush. <laughs> there we go, I've said it. On people like you, my love, a nice little dabble on the apples of cream blush, <laughs> chef's kiss. Well, so what happens with me with the powder is for some reason, powder just sits on my, you can just see the powder. It must be something to do with my skin type. Like it doesn't look good. I always want to do a powder contour because I feel like you can get like a sharper definition. But Mm. whenever I do that, it just doesn't work. So all of my makeup is cream, like including my bronzer. Whoa, that's risky. Yeah. I've got a lot of that. I know. It is unusual. I'll take that. But it's just (laughs) how I roll. (laughs) It's so cool. <laughs> I know. You've never met anyone less basic. Um, so in terms of with the non-binary aspect of life, um, the media and the world, uh, it's quite a tricky terrain right now. Are you feeling like, how are you feeling in yourself? I mean, on top of lockdown and being in a, the middle of a, a pandemic. You know, I heard about this pandemic from a friend. I hadn't actually noticed it was going on. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. That's very insensitive. Um, I. Oh my god! Wait, my doorbell's just gone. Wait, stay there. BRB. Love it. One <laughs> second, honey. <laughs> Hello there. It is I, Jamie Windus. Whoever is listening to this, I would just like to let you know that Anoni. Has gone to get the doorbell. What do we think? Oh my god, I'm so sorry. So I specifically said to leave it outside the door because I didn't want them to ring the doorbell, and then they just rang the doorbell anyway. Rude. I mean, again, me and you peas in a pod because I am also waiting for a delivery, and I put a little note outside saying, "On the phone, <laughs> please leave here." So let's see. <laughs> follow instructions. <laughs> What have you? What is your package? Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> I have, um, you know, influenced the life. Influenced the life. I'm sure I can predict that whatever just arrived, you also did not pay for. Um, <laughs> it was 
I'm getting some new clobber and clobber is clothes. Oh, love. Oh, nice. I like Zalando. Yeah, I don't actually know what my package is either. I just got, I don't actually know what it is gifting. But you know when you just get a tracking link and you don't know what it is? And then they're just like, when would you like this to be delivered? I just have no idea what it is. I think you would benefit from this as well. My dear friend, Oliver, off of Oliver Bonus, um... I'm just making myself laugh this morning. Um, <clears throat> he does great stuff. They very kindly gifted me stuff for my new flat. It, I'm basically oh. living in a show. Oh my God, stop. You can hit me up with that email once we finish recording. Absolutely. Yeah, because you've just moved. As, come on, here we go. We'll make sense. Where are you living now? Is that actually, is that classified information? Um, You know, <laughs> it may be classified information, but... Like my late mother, Princess Diana, I'm not afraid of the paparazzi. So I currently reside in Wimbledon. Um, do come oh. and find me if you dare. Um, but yeah, I'm going to come and find you. Go on, dare you? I'm going to come and find you. But where have you always been south? I've always been south, but I've been living. I finally moved out on my own in July, and it honestly. Is the best thing that's ever happened. Oh my God, living on your own is amazing. I mean, I've just moved with my boyfriend, so that's really rude to say, but it feels like living on my own, living with him, because it's kind of like, it's different from living with a flatmate, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you can. is it because you just pretend he's not there the whole time? <laughs> well, he's actually going into the office at the minute, so he's actually not here in the day. And also, we both like our own space, so we're really good at being together, but not actually, so we just like sit together and read. <laughs> like that loses <laughs> now I'm gonna have to say this because I've been meaning to say it for a long time how when your boyfriend has the face that he has how can you just sit there and read I'm sorry I don't understand to be fair I do sometimes get distracted by his cheekbones they're really like they're amazing but I'm just offended for my own cheeks because his is so sharp it's really upsetting but also I have known him for like over 10 years so you just it kind of like you get used to the face it's his his attractiveness is is now numb to you (laughs) no like this morning when he was getting ready for work I was like shit you're so hot but um and I was just I was lying in bed like wow you really do look great um so it's not wet it doesn't wear off but you're just kind of like you do take it for granted I do think that sometimes I'm like shit I'm really taking this for granted he is really hot he also has a great personality just want to put that in there before we objectify him too much. He's on my list of people that, I, you know, it's not a physical list. It's just a mental list um, of people that if I ever met, I would not be able to uh, react. For example, this happened the other day. I went to a dinner party for the first time in my life. And it was in North London. So I'm sure you can imagine the caliber of people. No offense. Um, but it was- very, very, a very posh affair. Okay, very posh. Um, and there was someone. There's a guy there that I had said to the person whose dinner party it was. I was like, if this guy comes, you need to let me know because I need to prepare myself, not with a razor, but just mentally. Mentally. I and <laughs> he tapped me on the shoulder. And I didn't know who was there. Turned around and I just went, Christ, your eyes. And then <gasps> immediately felt embarrassed. Um, told, and then, you know, when you just have word vomit, I was like, 
I'm, I, he was talking to me and I was like, I'm so sorry, but I'm distracted by your face. Um, and then he kind of laughed and then just like didn't talk to me again. <laughs> so, Is it someone famous or is it someone I would know? Unfortunately, it is not someone famous. Um, he does look like, though, he does look like the a grown-up version of the boy from Love Actually. <laughs> I love that. Cute. Is so, that your type? Evening, good evening. Um, I do apologise <laughs> for my actions <laughs> on the night of Saturday. However, um, I'm an author now, so... <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> That's the thing. I know that you actually are like a professional journalist and you have some like more highbrow layers to your name than influencer. But when you're an author, it really changes the caliber of person that you are. And you kind of can, it's just so much more grown up. Like I'm, I'm hashtag gel. It does feel very grown up. And also it feels very grown up to have that as well as um, contributing editor. Like the other day, I don't mind telling you, Anoni, I was on the news. <laughs> for to talk about trans stuff and they were like what would you like us to put as your title and I was like god I can put contributing editor now that feels very official um so yeah it's quite nice to have titles isn't it yeah I mean I just say um podcaster I hate saying influencer I just think it's a bit cringe sometimes I just Mm. make stuff up so I've like upgraded from podcaster (laughs) I just say I'm a presenter but then people think I'm on TV and I'm not. <laughs> I have to be like, oh, just a little old show you might not have heard of. But one day we'll get there. I think I have good faith. Absolutely. Like, cultural commentator is an upgrade from basically just being, it's basically just saying, I have opinions on the world. Who doesn't? <laughs> everyone's, everyone's a bloody cultural commentator. Um, but, you know, it just, it just sounds quite nice, doesn't it? So what are your cultural commentating comments for me today? What are you thinking about the world? Anything in particular that you wanted to comment on? Um, I'd like to comment on the price of oat milk. Outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, ser- on a, what serious things should we discuss? I think at the moment, the pandemic is causing us a bit of a ruckus. Um, a little bit. I feel like... I feel like, I don't know if this is relevant for the listeners, but does anyone else, um, and I understand I can't hear your responses, um, but does that, is anyone else just kind of a bit like uh, so confused by everything at the moment that it, it's we're kind of like, we don't have any idea what's going on. So we're just kind of like bumbling around. Still trying to be careful, still mildly aware of what's going on, but just like also having absolutely no idea. Totally. And I feel like there's this weird thing where I'm following like what the rules say, um, as in like I'm socially distanced, but I have gone on holiday and I've like gone to restaurants for socially distance. And I'm like, well, I'm doing what it says we're supposed to be doing. But then other people who perhaps are more anxious or shielding are then like, no, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. So then you feel really guilty because you're like, oh, okay. And you don't know who to listen to. And I'm not really sure what we're supposed to be doing and what's going on. Because even if you do what the government says, for other people, that's maybe not like enough of what you should be doing. So I feel a bit yeah. confused about what's happening as well. I agree. I, I, I think that's right. I think it's about, I think it's about just using your brain a little bit sometimes. Because obviously, 
you know, I went out for dinner. I love a dinner on my own. So when Eat Out to Help Out came, I actually went to my local, this is not sponsored, my local Bills, or as I like to call it, Williams. Um, just so it sounds like something. So much in Eat Out to Help Out on my own that I am now good friends with the manager. Very good friends with the manager. Um, Giorgio, if you're listening, hi. I'll have the calamari to go. Thank you. Um, I was I was just about to ask what is actually I did go there and eat out to help out, but on the extended version, Matt and I went for a lunch. What what's your order from Bills? Now brace for impact. Um, I'm one of those okay. people that I sit down and they know exactly what I want. Um, Stop. So I have with any hot meal, I always have a pot of tea. Um, <laughs> pot of tea. We start with the stone baked bread. We oh. go in for the tuna, which is like you know when they do like raw tuna. Tuna tartare. Like, we <laughs> no tuna tartare. Yeah, we we. Um, and then <laughs> if it's a Wednesday, we'll have a sirloin. If it's not a Wednesday, oh. we'll have fish fry. And then we end on what they describe as lemon meringue pie in a glass, which is like a lemon cheesecake slash lemon meringue pie hybrid in a tumbler glass. It's ideal. So you have, why do you have sirloin on Wednesdays? Is it like Mean Girls when they're like, on Wednesdays we wear pink? You're like, on Wednesdays I eat meat. On Wednesdays I eat cow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's the pool quote. That's the pool. That's what we're taking out. Thank you. Um, on Wednesdays I eat cow because um, it's a treat <laughs> and also it's the last day of the eat out to help out so I oh, I'm going to oh, Wednesday it's Wednesday go. today shit oh you're so right I forget I always kept forgetting but we did really rinse that a bit too much to the point where we weren't actually saving any money because you're like no, shit yeah, you get I'm... 50% off <laughs> it came the bill came and I was expecting it to be like £2 <laughs> and it came and I was like, well, because I knew I was getting a discount, I, I ordered so much more food than I normally would order. So now it's just the price of a normal meal. <laughs> oh, it's always so classic. That's what I do. It's like um, talking about gifting. So if I get gifted something that's worth £50, in my head I'm like, I've just saved £50, even though I didn't ask for it and nor has anyone given me £50 in money. So I definitely haven't saved it. So then I will think, oh, well this thing costs £100, I can buy that. It's basically like having £50 off. So, And then Matt's like, this is not how maths works. But in my mind, <laughs> makes complete sense. That's like, so uh, <laughs> get your extension lead out because I'm about to plug. We, in the book, <laughs> there was, um, I speak about fashion quite a lot. And I always have that mentality with fashion. Um, so like, for example, I bought my first ever pair um, a couple of weeks ago of designer shoes thank you very much everyone um don't worry it was only at vista village so it was the outlet um <laughs> but have you ever been to vista village by the way oh my god yeah i used to go there all the time when i was younger it was literally like my mum's favorite weekend out <laughs> olive that's what we do as children when other people went to like center parks our mum be like come on girls we're going to vista village <laughs> your mum is a legend by the way can i just say that <laughs> Oh, she so is. She is just the best person in the world. If there ever was the personification of a blow dry, it's your mum. <laughs> um, and that's, she just, 
has that natural bounce to her hair. She doesn't even blow dry it very much anymore. Are you joking? No, she's just like that. It's just who she is. But, oh yes, so my funny shoes. I bought the shoes. Um, Versace, thank you very much. I was, thank you, um, I was going to ask. And I wore them, as you would, because you've bought something. I wore them, and then <laughs> four days later, they had a tear in them. They were a nice little pair of loafers. <gasps> So I obviously stopped wearing them, got on the got on the phone straight to Donatella, and I was like, babe, what's happened to my shoes? What fabric are these shoes, sorry, if they're tearing? So it's a little red leather, like vinyl leather loafer. However, you know, like on a loafer, it has the stitching around the top. Yeah. So it's like round the, round the rim, um, like a pasty. And that that's where the tears were. So I obviously was like, Donatella, what's gone on here? You need to fire someone. And they emailed me back and were like, hello, Jamie, we can offer you a store credit um, or a replacement. And obviously in my head, relating back to our previous conversation about money, in my head, I was like, God, that's free money. Even though it's <laughs> literally not, because I've just spent the money on the shoes in the first place. But because they're like, you now have the same amount to spend again, in my head, it's a free purchase. Did you spend more on the second pair or did you buy the same ones? Um, so this will be a teaser. Suspense. I have booked in to go this weekend to deliberate on what I shall do because I'm tempted to get the same pair. But you know what we're like? Very fickle. I'm already bored of them slightly. I might just get a new pair. Because what I would do if someone gave me, and this is why I'm so bad with money, but I'm getting better, but this is the kind of thing I do. So someone would give me a voucher, in which case I would then spend the price of the voucher on top of the voucher. Because as you said, free money. So I'll be like, well, I should therefore double the cost of the next shoe that I buy. Oh yeah, because, because I haven't given Yeah, exactly. That's how I would look at it. Sorry. To your bank account. <laughs> well, you know, I've got to spend that book money somewhere. And if it's on shoes... Are you ready for a very beautiful segue? Go on. I'm, I'm, bu- I'm bu- okay. buckled in. So, Jamee, if I were to be in your Versace shoes, <laughs> what? <laughs> walk me through what that might be like. Oh, wait, you don't need to because you've written a book called... In their shoes. It wasn't as neat as I was hoping. I was, it was quite good. That was the you know, best one I've done. Best one I've done. Um, it would, what would a day in my shoes be? Do you know, at the moment, it's quite busy. I'll tell you that for nothing. Um, it's hectic. It's managing a pandemic around trying to be, as you described, a cultural icon. Um, <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But at the moment, <laughs> I've um, not to take a 
sour note on our beautiful conversation. But this summer has been a tricky one. It's been a difficult old slog um, for many reasons. Um, and I won't go into them because otherwise we may have to add trigger warnings to the podcast. And that's never fun. Um, but it's been a difficult one. And I think what's interesting is if you were in my shoes in like August, it would have been hard. And it was a a very kind of difficult time mentally and kind of just the world pandemic wise was really stressful. I had lots of kind of personal stuff that was going on that I was like, Oh, um, and now I think it's a lot easier. I feel, you know, I've come out the other side um, of being within the kind of criminal system. Don't worry, dear listener, I was not arrested um, for public <laughs> indecency again. Um, but it's now I feel almost like shaped by the experience. However, not in a way that means that I'm uh, giving it power, but I I feel like I have been able to shape how I come out to the other side. Do you you want to talk about it or you don't want to talk about it? I can do, yeah, because I am aware that it may be um, slightly non-contextual for this time. Um, Am I allowed to use all of the words? You can use every single word that you want to use. So this summer, I shared something online on Instagram that had happened to me, um, and it wasn't it wasn't that nice an experience, and I think it was a very um, a very jarring experience. So I was raped during lockdown, which is not something that I expected to happen, and also you know no one ever really expects things like that to happen but it was a a very difficult situation to be in purely for lots of reasons obviously but like I think for me it was kind of the aftermath of that and being within the criminal justice system and being within uh within a system that I just felt didn't fit me in any way um and I think when things like this happen we obviously um, we have a lot of preconceptions of what the system is like from TV, from film, um, and a lot of that is not actually true. Um, it's it's actually a lot more intense and it's a lot more difficult. I think the only real depiction of it that I've seen that actually feels relevant or realistic is in, um, and I've now forgotten program but it's that lovely new one that Michaela Cole did I may destroy you I may destroy yeah yeah um and I watched that when it came out and that that was kind of a very very uh realistic portrayal of what what happened and I think for me it was just a lot to process um I just moved out on my own as well so it was really kind of a whole kerfuffle, um, to be quite frank. And now, kind of four months on, I'm definitely through the worst of it. Um, however, I think 
that's why I love writing so much is because, you know, I've noticed that during that time, I wasn't ever really listened to on a human level. I was only ever listened to to share evidence. I was listened to to provide resources rather than actually just like listen to on a human level. So uh, mm. to be able to write about it and to be able to put that out there, which I'm going to um, publish in November, was and has been really cathartic because a lot of people for trans folks and marginalized bodies say that we know we shouldn't share our trauma constantly because it's trauma porn or because it's um what's expected of marginalized bodies but i think that obviously has a place and you should never be expected to but if you decide to do something like that and share your story and you are in control of sharing that story i think that is one of the most powerful things you can do so for example for like I say, for the next uh, print issue of Gay Times, I have written um, what would have been my victim impact statement that I would have read out in court. Um, so I have written that to be published, and it was completely my idea, completely my kind of motivation. I worked through to get that idea from working with my therapist um, as part of my closure, and yeah, it's, it's felt really nice. Actually, I was really worried about doing it, but it's it's felt like I'm able to put the full stop on it rather than the police deciding when things end and when things are done. So for me, doing this is, is really, for me, it's me being selfish. It's me being able to control my narrative. Um, so, yeah. That's that's the context. If anyone was wondering, I don't think it's I don't think it's selfish. I think that, as you said, it's really important that when we feel that we have the power and we want to share something, that we are able to. I don't think that that's I don't think that's selfish because there will be always be someone who needs that story and who needs to read it, and there might be people who don't. But that's why we have trigger warnings, and that's why we have the ability to, you know, we've got to take ownership over what we need to absorb and digest and read I don't think it's selfish and I think I'm sure that it will be very impactful for lots of lots of people in that who've been through those situations so I wouldn't I wouldn't look at it like that so what what was the final outcome of the case so the I reported the case um the night the night of in June Um, And then in October, um, they basically were like, there is not enough evidence to to go to trial. And basically what, in these cases, it's a very difficult, um, or as they describe it, it's apparently a very difficult crime to, um, Mm. what's the word? Persecute. Yeah, persecute, because... Um, there doesn't just need to be evidence of it happening, but there needs to be tangible evidence that beyond no reasonable doubt, the person that is being accused understood that you had not consented, but still continued. And I remember I went to them in October um, for a meeting for them to basically sit down with me and explain why they've decided to not take it any further. 
And they were discussing the kind of difference between what socially we see as the definition of consent, which is obviously um, a definition that we under- most of us understand and is, is kind of known, whereas the definition of consent in, a, in the criminal justice system is very, very different. Um, and that was quite interesting to me because, you know, you'd think that something like that would just have a definition and then you can carry it through um, and it would remain the same. But, um, yeah, so the case has been, the case was dropped um, and I was basically told I can either take it to court myself through, like, civil court or I can uh, lay it to rest there. So I, I decided to just not move forward with it. So what is the definition of consent in the criminal justice system then? So they kind of explained it as the, it's it, it's similar to, it's obviously related and similar to the kind of social definition, but the cons- the difference in the criminal justice system is that consent has to be, there has to be proof that there is no consent. So there right. has to be a, a level of, it's very evidential. So there has to be evidence of, the lack of consent and I remember kind of joking to them I was like well what do you want me to do like do a voice note like how, how was I how was I supposed to do you know what I mean it's a very unless you're making unless it's like recorded uh, it's or videoed in any way I don't I, I it seems like a complete error to be like how can you take that as evidence in what way would I muster that also because it's one word against the other and because even if you'd given consent in a voice note at the beginning of the act you could change your mind halfway through so that would be null and void anyway and then if someone has um as you say like violated you in a way that they've made that decision to do so and they're saying you gave consent like how are you going to have evidence for that it does seem so problematic do you think it's harder did you find it harder as a non-binary person than you think it might be for someone who is cis or cis presenting. Like, what did you think that the process felt very different to you? Um, you said earlier that you felt like you didn't fit the system. And I wondered if that was to, down to gender identity or. This is fun. By the way, I've not, I've not said this yet. So this is a, this is fun. I'm a bit, I'm a bit scared, but I think it's fine. Um, are you feeling that? Are you feeling okay? Oh no. Yeah. I feel fine talking about it. I'm just kind of, uh, it just feels quite nice. Um, oh, that's good. What? Yeah. So, kind of the different the the feeling of me in the system as a non cis person was very kind of from the very beginning. It was very difficult. So, as I as I reported the crime, um, officers arrived to me, um, and I explained what had happened. And because of the the nature of it being a same sex um, situation, the the two police officers basically were telling me that they didn't understand. Um, they didn't have it. They were like, we don't have experience um, with this type of thing. We don't really understand what you mean, um, which was really <laughs> odd. So I was like... What you meant about, I... the ca- about the actual um, violation or what you meant about your own gender? Um, so they didn't understand some of the language that I was using around uh, same-sex 
sex. So like, right, two people um, of the same sex having sex. They just didn't understand the language that I was using. So for example, like uh, top and bottom, or even like anal. They were like, I don't understand. <laughs> I was like, right, what? Okay. Um, they didn't understand like the. I think that with queerness, there's often um, we have more access to hookup culture. Um, mm. And when I tried to explain that it was just a hookup, they d- again they, they didn't understand that. So what they had to do was they called out, um, <laughs> which at the time was not funny, but at, now thinking back, it is quite funny. Um, they had to call out the special LGBT police officer um, to come and essentially act as the translator um, to what was going on. So he. He arrived um, and talked to me, you know, spoke through it with me and, and, and kind of literally I would say it to him and then he would go, he would say it to the other officers, which I, I was just <laughs> very, very baffled by. Um, I did in that instance with the LGBT officer explain to him that I was non-binary um, and he, he, I explained and he was like, oh, that's fine. Um, and then he turned to his colleagues and he was like, oh, um, by the way, guys, he's non-binary. And I was like, <gasps> um, and I, you know, But also he, point, he should have said they're non-binary, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, he, there was a complete, a, a complete disregard. Of, yeah. And then moving, moving forward... Um, Kind of when I was working with the detectives and looking and kind of speaking about that, I tried to make sure that they understood my identity in relation to this crime because I didn't like the idea of me being spoken about or written about um, in their reports in, in the wrong way. Um, mm. And it just was never really listened to. It was kind of when I would bring it up, it was kind of reacted to with very defensive language, being like, we would never do that, we don't do that. Um, uh, we understand, but it's not intentional, all of these types of things. Um, and then kind of in my final meeting, when I spoke with them about the decision, they still were using the wrong pronouns. And I think for me in that moment, I was like, right, I'm ready to leave this system now. I, I, I don't need to be in it. It's not going to benefit me. I'm actually glad it's not gone any further because I think for me being in the system was equally as bad as the incident itself. I was about to say it's just as traumatizing to be in a space where you're supposedly looking for help and then the people there also are kind of committed to misunderstanding you and who you are. That is that's a really horrible space to be. And did you feel like you felt before this incident did you have a bit more faith in how it would have played out, do you think? Um, I, you know, I always, I think the thing with this crime is I always knew that those types of crimes are never treated in a way that is proportionate to other crime. It's never that, you know, the conviction rate is very, very low. And I understand just from kind of knowledge of, <laughs> as a cultural commentator, um, that these situations are not dealt with to the end so but did you expect what I meant by that more was like were you expecting to feel more safe 
um, going through the process than evidently you did. I think, yeah, I think one would, one always feels like ringing any form of emergency service. Your kind of main hope and aspiration there and aim is to be like, these people are going to look after me. These people are going to make me feel safe. But, you know, history and listening to lots of words, essentially, you know, this year has been highlighted that for black folks and people of colour that, you know, these institutions are not made for marginalised bodies and they do not, there is never a guarantee that they're actually going to make you feel safe. Um, And I think, unfortunately, that's what happened here. Um, And that's what happens for so many marginalised people. Um, So it was, it was frustrating. Um, I had lots of other kind of incidents with them over the 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 past few months where um it really made me think about the discussions around defunding the police mm. i'm so sorry that you had to go through that it just all all of it sounds so traumatizing on top of each other and i completely agree with i was reading so much into the idea of like the abolition of the police and defunding them and um you really your brain really starts to like imagine a world with services that are applicable to the people that need them rather than this police force which actually like only really have one skill they're not trained to be doing it and actually it's more about kind of changing the way that we have this money put into people to look after us you'd have a specific mental health paramedics type person that would come when you rang whatever number and then you might have someone else who's good at dealing with domestic situations and it's not about not having those people there at the end of the phone. It's about having the right people there. And I think that's why people get confused. They suddenly imagine like anarchy without police. And actually it's total opposite. It's still very much like there's a social justice system, but it's in a different means of, a diff- it's a different set of players rather than the wrong ones who don't know what they're doing, <laughs> for want of a better yeah. phrase. It was just, it's, it was a very blanket situation. And I think it's, we're seeing it more and more, and especially with lots of trans charities as well that are losing funding or that um, so many things are happening at the minute where there's being so many cuts to these really important lifelines for people. And I guess the hope is that with books like yours and voices who are able to hopefully puncture through some of the mainstream conversations that we see playing out in proper publications and also just on right-wing Twitter that hopefully with like your voice being loud enough it might give people access to why these things are so important I think that that so many times we just you're just not given the right space to talk about these issues and I don't know what news channel you were on recently but I always come back to like Piers Morgan's Good Morning Britain and, and you just see the way that marginalized voices are kind of propped up as being um I don't even know what the right word is, but they always have an agitator to play against this person who has um, is not the default voice and it's just not good enough and it's not good enough to help people understand why the status quo right now isn't helping people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it, it th- that kind of narrative, a lot of people claim, like the Pierce Morgan narrative and the agitator kind of dynamic they claim that it's very harmless they claim it's in the essence of free speech however you know I'm a very privileged 
person in the trans community and this is how I was treated as a result of conversations that happen on in right-wing news and on mainstream media these conversations mean that the conversation is instantly and continually sidetracked and re derailed in a way to focus on very minor issues whereas actually you know there are situations like that I had that need more reform but they are never spoken about because you know Piers Morgan wants to talk for an hour about foolishness to do with transness rather than the actual issues and it screams mm. to me that actually a lot worse is going on for less privileged trans folks in these systems and it's frustrating. I think it's the same that we see <clears throat> everywhere with this idea of like as you say he'll get caught up in the idea of like women being spelt with an x for an hour rather than talking about the fact that our our National Health Service can't cater to certain people or that we don't have adequate mental health training, as you said. And we see this the whole time where we have these kind of like culture wars or these like really small peer-to-peer arguments being lauded as the issue when actually the issue is much more systemic and legislative than any of these kind of like faux battles people have on Twitter because that's not really what anyone, like that stuff doesn't really it does matter in some ways, but if we fix the 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 core of the issues, um, then hopefully those things on the top layer wouldn't happen. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because I think what then happens is, like in my job as well as a as a writer and as a journalist, a lot of the time I'm asked to discuss topics or help consult on projects that are focused on these very minimal culture war moments, such as the woman with an ex or um even kind of very very and I know it's an issue that people need safety for but like changing rooms and bathrooms like these topics get so ingrained in conversation that actually like like we've said the main crux of what actually we need help with is lost and it also prevents people from actually doing the work and being being active allies because they see these conversations around um, these minimal issues and then it kind of plays into the idea that trans people are just causing drama for drama's sake when actually it's never trans people that bring these issues to the forefront it's cis people and then it's painted as trans folks constantly arguing for tiny little uh, issues when actually we never bring these issues up we just are then asked to comment on them and then it creates this dynamic of that we're just moaning all the time and it's like well oh no (laughs) how how do you feel about because I think we're in this moment of a lot of like virtue signaling and woke signaling where um print public well not even print just publications will as you say like ask you for your comment on something and then position themselves as progressive or part of the conversation and actually then again, they're just feeding into the same thing. Like, do you think that that's moving forward? Is that changing? And uh, like, because obviously, as we know, we need to have people and you being contributing editor, that's the kind of important stuff. Like people sat at the table rather than just um, being, doing a lip service on the on the pages, which serves more to the people at the top than it does to the people that it's supposedly catering for. Have you mm-hmm. felt that, that we're in a, 
position where things are changing or is it still a lot of kind of lip service? I think there is definite changes. For example, like my role with Gay Times is a great opportunity for me to control a narrative in a way that allows me to share work that is joyful and also allows me to include voices from the non-binary community that aren't always shown which I think is great and it's like it's what I call like by for journalism it's by the community for the community and I think when you have like little think pieces that crop up written by non-trans <clears throat> written by non-trans journalists um and they ask you for comment sometimes it's helpful because there is an element to conversations like that that are like these words are going to go to an audience that don't necessarily engage with these conversations all the time. So therefore, if they can read a piece that is well-written and has trans inclusion in it, then that's not always a bad thing. However, it does beg the question, should we have to be reading these little think pieces about bathrooms, about women X, about, you know, very, very small issues? You know, I'd rather see journalists ask me for comment on reform and actual positive changes rather than should I be allowed to try a dress on in Urban Outfits. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely agree. And I think that's where that's where even I am starting to realise that sometimes even some of the conversations I have end up being quite surface level because whilst it is important I feel like our generation perhaps more than ever are so um we're really pernickety and we want to do things right and so we are concerned about some of the small stuff because we we're like trying to do everything from the ground up like we want to get things right but then at the same time it's like when it's coming down to what's actually fundamentally going to have the biggest change it has to come from systems and legislation I've sometimes realized that I don't tackle enough of that gritty bigger stuff um because it, you can go around for hours and hours just talking about identity and identity politics and sometimes that again feeds into the idea that you know there's not a bigger conversation to be had beyond that when there all there always kind of is yeah absolutely i think a lot of people are beginning to acknowledge that and realize that there's always a wider conversation i, I i'm hopeful for the future of journalism so in your book how much of it how much of it would you say is like instructive or educational is it a really witty approach at just going like this is who I am and this is what I'm like as opposed to being as activist as perhaps some of your other work I think yeah I think with I've never I've never really aligned with that with the activist phrase and I think I speak about it in the book about how Often, when marginalised people just speak about their experiences, they're called an activist, whereas actually, mm. in the book, I try and debunk that slightly and also showcase um, my stories through through kind of wit and humour and try and avoid and almost take the piss out of, like, live, laugh, love, and just do it, and all of these mantras, because... Often when you read books that are, are supposed to give you advice, it's very much like, you can do it. And it's like, yeah, I know I can, babe. But like, it's not my fault if the world around me isn't letting me. So each chapter has kind of a list 
a list in each chapter of like 10 things I would say to a non-binary person about, and then it's each chapter is, a, is about the theme. So like 10 things I'd say to someone wanting to explore fashion or 10 things I'd say to someone about how to deal with their mental health. So there, there is practical advice in there, but I think, um, unfortunately, the kind of initial reviews that came in have said that it does feel very, uh, like, practical and realistic. It's not, it's not super, like, rainbows and, you know, glitter everywhere. It's very, like, gritty and honest, but in a way that's hopefully relatable to to people yeah and I think it's important to be able to you know as you were saying earlier like to be able to tell your story and not sugarcoat things and not try to make people feel comfortable or you know it's got to be truthful I think and I think that it will be funny knowing you I imagine that it's going to be absolutely hilarious because (laughs) you just you're a funny honey what can I say well you've listened to this and you've let out a slight exhalation through the nose <laughs> then like that then you, <laughs> then you know you might like it. also I know this isn't something that should <laughs> someone said this to me the other day like Jamie you should not say that to try and sell your book but it is only 200 pages so you know you could whip through it in like a week that's a couple of tube journeys I think I think that is a massive thing for people because I love reading anyway, but lots of people that don't read always ask me to get really intimidated. Do people do just prefer a short book? Because also I think our concentration span at the minute with everything that's going on, it's actually really hard to stick to something that's too thick. <laughs> so something that's like manageable, 200 pages is a really good amount, is actually much more alluring than like a massive chunky fat book. And it's got a picture of me on the back, so. Oh, love. Well, the last thing which I didn't prepare you for because we did this so we organized this in such a slapdash manner love um <laughs> was that I meant to ask you but so I can give you a bit of time if you need to think about it but at the end of every episode this season I'm asking people what their three favorite books are but obviously they don't have to be your all-time favorites they could be like your favorites right now or like childhood book anything do you have a top three books for me okay so I'm looking at my bookshelf as we speak love. and I would say a book that I read last year that I read, um, I then kind of went back to currently because it was, the content was relatable, is uh, Know My Name by Chanel Miller, um, which is a book from the sexual assault victim of Brock Turner, um, mm. which is an amazing read. Um, And it's all about her process through the system. Um, You know, it was a very high profile case. So it talks about her situation. Um, So I found that really lovely. um, If if it can be called lovely. Um, I have just started reading Sophie Hagen's wonderful book, Happy Fat, um, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Loved that. that. That's currently up there as a number one um and then because I've not read for a while but I have started reading recently um finally I would say I got sent my lovely friend Henry James Garrett's 
book called oh. This Book Will Kinder. Um, and Henry is an amazing illustrator and writer, and he actually, on a personal note, kind of, you know, I'm sure you know what this is like. We have people online that we kind of uh, are mildly friends with, but we don't have that much of a um, solid friendship. But over over summer and when I was kind of dealing with my stuff, he reached out and has and has been like a real. Um, rock for me essentially and a real a real lovely person so his book is called this book will make you kinder and it's all about um it's called an empathy handbook so it takes a look at um, social definitions of like morality how we define what's moral and immoral and how that can influence um why we are kind and why we help other people and it's full of all of his gorgeous illustrations um and i love him so those are my three. Um, also, fourth is In Their Shoes um, by Jamie Wunder. <laughs> I love that. I'm really excited about that third one. I'm going to look that up because I haven't heard of that. But um, that's all so fab. Thank- I can't believe how quick off the mark you are. I'm very impressed. Thank you. So you don't have any pre-warning. Um, so, yes. Thank you so much for joining me. I've loved this chat. Did, did it get a bit sad? Are you okay? <laughs> so, I did get a bit sad. And I... Um, I've not I've not shared that information publicly. However, um, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't want it to be said. So I feel okay. happy. Um, well, thank you for sharing with me. That's okay, my love. It was nice to laugh about it. If people don't yet follow you on social media, um, where can they find you apart from Wimbledon? Uh, apart from Wimbledon, um, first of all, I would say, what are you doing, silly? Do you not look up the person on Instagram before you start listening? I always do. Um, but on Instagram, you can find me at Jamie underscore win dust. Like winning and like dust, but one word. Um, and that's the same on Twitter. And my book, In Their Shoes, is available to pre-order on Amazon, Waterstones, and your local independent bookshop where they have signed copies if you want to want to scribble scribble from me beautiful well thank you so much for joining me and chatting and lolling and sharing thank you my love i love you love you thank you everyone for listening bye